Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. These are the words of God. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Uh, The person communicating here is Peter, um, but it is also implied that the other 11 had stood up with him as he was declaring the gospel. So he says, "Be, Be separated or be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And of course, another really important piece of context to remember is that this is in Jerusalem. These are Jewish people who had experienced the day of Pentecost. So they had come to belief in their Messiah, King Jesus. And with many, uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and praising God and having favor with all the people. This was our call to worship this morning. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I shared with you also last week uh, a statement from Lutheran pietist J.A. Bingle who, uh, who said these words. He said, Thou hast, O church, thy form. And by form, he meant the pattern that you are to operate in. And, and this particular quote comes from his commentary on Acts chapter 2 and, and in particular verse 42. Thou hast, O church, thy form, thy pattern. It is thine to preserve it and guard thy trust. And so we we started looking at this idea as a church that if we want to be a truly effective church inside of the world that we live in, we ought to look at God's word. We ought to look at his way. And if we do it his way, here's the deal, there's no guarantee it'll go smooth. There's no guarantee that we'll always uh, be smiling and, you know, uh, running around patting each other on the back, but we will be doing it right. We will be doing well, and we will be the most effective that we can be. And so we looked at this pattern, uh, and, and that pattern in particular is found in verse 42, right? The, the people who had been saved continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's a, an important principle or a habit that we want to look at. They devoted themselves, continually devoted themselves to fellowship. This is how we read this sentence. They continually devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they continued to, devo- uh, to devote themselves to the prayers. Now, the, um, the effectiveness that I find so amazing about this 
this uh, series of habits or this series of principles inside of the church is found in verses 46 and 47. And so you see, you see the principles there, right? Now let's move to the effectiveness. The effectiveness is just powerful. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Just, again, pieces of context that I believe are valuable for our understanding. The reason why we can operate by the principles we, sound, we, we saw in verse 42, but not in the principle or the perceived principle here of meeting in the temple on a regular basis is because we know how to discern the difference between a principle and the context in which the principle is employed. The idea of devotion to the apostles' teaching can happen anywhere and in every context. In their context, remember who these people were, Jewish people who had come to believe in their Messiah, King Jesus, they uh, worshiped together in the temple on a regular basis. Now, this is something that maybe you don't think through when you're reading it. I'm not, that's, not a, that's not a shot at you, but it's maybe something that just gets overlooked because you're reading through your passages of Scripture fast. But the idea here is these are Jews who have come to believe that the Messiah that was promised to them finally came And so why would they not go right back to the temple? The temple is not that religion's building. While this, our houses, or the churches we eventually come to create are now the Christian buildings. I know that this is earth-shattering to some, but Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus did not come and say, ta-da, Christianity. Here you go. He didn't, he didn't do it, church. Listen, he came as the fulfillment to an old religion. He came as the fulfillment of the Jews. And so it actually makes perfect sense why they would go together with one mind as born-again believers, as people submitted to King Jesus, as people filled with his spirit. It makes sense why they would go to the temple because it's their religion. They just believed that Jesus came. He was the Messiah. Now, how does this play out in their life? That's the, that's the interesting question. I actually believe, and this is conjecture, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Send me an email or, or call me up and talk to me about it. But, but it, it makes sense to me that they went to the temple, and as the rabbi or as the different leaders in the synagogue began to stand up and read the scriptures, it would make sense that the apostles would then go, do you see how that's pointing to Jesus? Do you see what this is about? Do you see how this is all about the Messiah who died, was buried, and rose again on the third day? Do you see how this was about the spirit that was supposed to come? Uh, From a long time ago, these scriptures were all communicating this truth. We actually know that this kind of thing happened because Philip, when he interacts with the Ethiopian eunuch on, on this journey, he actually explains Jesus to him from Isaiah. Right? He, he opens that scroll up and he begins to say, this is Jesus. This is the way it works. So just a, a, a fun idea of context, a fun idea of how this may have played out. I think we can see it here. Day by day, they went to the temple. It was their temple. <laughs> and so they went to temple and they were breaking bread from house to house. This is where we begin to expand what they did together. They were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, and here's where the effectiveness comes in. 
dedication to the apostles' teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to breaking bread, devotion to prayer, and here is the outcome of it. They had favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. All we ever do in the church world today is is look to man-made strategies for how to grow the church. And listen, I'm just going to get into this, jump up on my soapbox, right, and get off of it as quick as I can. But I need you, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. We have a lot of really stupid strategies in the church today. One of those strategies is, it comes as a, a strange phrase, a strange saying that I hear more often now than ever before. And that is, we need to become churches for people who don't like church. That's stupid, <laughs> right? I can prove it from the Bible. Anyway, no, but here, here's what I want you to hear. Churches for people who don't like church, that's not what the church is for. This is earth-shattering too. The church is not for the world. What, Nathan? You're a jerk. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen to me fully. The church is on mission to the world. The church is the family of God. The church is assembled of the redeemed people of God. We are not for the world, but every man-made strategy we employ makes us look more and more like the world because we're like, we got to save people. We got to save people. Here's another shocker. You don't save people. Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. Soapbox, done. Dismounting. Nailed the landing. Okay, so the idea here is that the church is for the people of God. It is on mission to the world. And how do we do our mission well? Here's my, here's my challenge to you. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devote yourself to fellowship. Devote yourselves to breaking bread. Devote yourselves to prayer. And here's what's going to happen. First Peter is going to happen. First Peter, dedicate God, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, and people are going to ask about the hope that you have in your life. That's what's going to happen. Or we can keep building huge structures, getting a better band, fancier light shows, and act like that makes Christians. No, it makes spectators. It makes spectators, church. This is not how this comes together. So the effectiveness of the church is amazing when they just simply adhered to four principles. Now, these principles, as I shared last week, are not exhaustive, right? They're not exhaustive. Dedication to the apostles' teaching, dedication to fellowship, dedication to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and they had favor with all the people. That all the people is not just Christians. How do I know? The very next line. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You want a great evangelistic strategy? Do what God said. Do what God said. It will absolutely revolutionize Everything. So today, uh, I want to recap quickly on this idea of devotion, right? What this even means to us as Christians. Um, And then, after we recap on devotion, I want to look particularly at the Apostles' teaching. Do you guys remember what uh, that term devotion meant from last week? Standing in a thing, standing ready in a thing in particular? So what does it mean to be standing ready in the apostles' teaching? 
It means like an army, uh, an army sergeant or, or somebody who is following orders to always be ready for the instruction that's supposed to come. Because why? Because that person believes that that instruction is what they're supposed to do. <laughs> you tell me what I'm supposed to do, I'll go do it. That's how this works. This is how the first century church looked at the apostles' teaching. They were hungry, they were ready, they were standing ready in a thing. They were also standing ready in fellowship. You see, they didn't just come to church and serendipitously go out to dinner with people afterwards, okay? Because on Sunday, my wife tells me lunch is called dinner and dinner is supper. I'm confused. Anyway, so, but the, but the point still remains that they didn't just wing it. They were standing ready in fellowship. They were looking for opportunities. Now, it's fun when you come to church on Sunday and you're like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while and we want to go out to eat. Awesome, do that. You should also call them on Tuesday. <laughs> you should also call them throughout the week and spend time with these people. Uh, here's here's a, a, a moment of high praise for our church. I am seeing more and more and more people in this church breaking bread together, spending time with each other, some playing games, some going to movies. We, we went, I went to a movie with a couple of guys last night. It was a very fun time. But, but there's more and more fellowship that's being created around here. And it's among people who are like-minded, among people who want to serve Jesus, among people who have shared interests, that's fine, but also among people who are different. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And so you guys are doing a tremendous job. I want to encourage you to keep doing more. I want to encourage you to have fellowship or uh, begin fellowship with people that you don't know. So what that means practically in this church setting is that everybody on this wing needs to invite somebody over on this wing uh, out to dinner or something because you guys don't like each other and I don't really know why, right? And you guys, I don't want to hear it. Because you guys, you guys just sitting there. No, anyway, so uh, it's, it's all about reaching across the aisles and being a fellowship of difference. We are different people, and we can have a joy in the same king. Amen? It's really awesome. So let me expand this term of devotion just a little bit further to give you a, to give you a picture of it. The verb that is used here for continued devotion uh, is also used by Luke, the same writer, just a chapter before. And here, here's the amazing thing. He uses the same term of devotion when the 120 were waiting for the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Okay, you're supposed to be devoted, dedicated to the apostles' teaching, and he chooses the same verb to articulate what he means by devotion in his culture. And here's what it means. It means that you're hanging, you're waiting, you're eager, you're looking forward to a thing. The people uh, who are waiting for Pentecost to come, they didn't move. They didn't go to and fro. They waited on the Lord to fall and to come and to fill his church with power so that they would be able to minister to the world around them. What a powerful idea. This is the kind of dedication we're talking about. It also is the same verb that's used in Acts chapter 6 when, the apostle, or when Luke writes about the apostles dedicating themselves to teaching and to prayer. So here's the picture I want to firmly plant in your mind. The level of devotion that you should have to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching, to hearing and growing in your faith should be the devotion, that same level of devotion that the apostles would have put into preparing it for you. 
You know how much time it takes for most pastors to create a sermon or create some sort of lesson for the week? On average, on average, it's about 16 hours. It's on average. It's, it ranges 15, 20 hours, somewhere around that, right? On average, 16 hours. This level of devotion would be to say that 16 hours your pastor puts into delivering the word of God to you, you should spend 16 hours searching the scriptures to find out if that's true. You should spend 16 hours dedicating yourself to God's word and trying to see. Now, uh, most of you are going, you, you done gone crazy, Nate. You done gone crazy. But here's why you think I've gone crazy. Because you keep believing the world's lie. Eight hours of sleep every night. You don't need that, so quit, okay? Anyway, no, anyway. eight hours of sleep every night, eight hours of work every day. You've got eight hours left. Did you know that the average American household watches four hours of media a day? What? Right? This is why I throw TVs away. Right? We have one, and, and I don't let them have the power cord. It's really great, okay? So, no, but the, the idea here is that we spend a whole lot of time watching media. Something is discipling us, church. Yeah, it's Hollywood. It's Netflix. It's the Mandalorian. This is the way, but, okay, <laughs> Barney paid me to put that into a sermon at some point. So anyway, there you go. There you go. I will accept payment on Monday. Anyway, but we are being discipled by something, and we need to be focused on the Word of God. Well, I hear people all the time say, I don't have time. I don't have time to read. Sure, you do. You do have time to read. What you should say, and, and I'm not going to condemn you for it, uh, what you should say is, I don't make enough time. And my next statement is going to be, okay, so let's do that. Let's try to make some time. Let's work this out so that we can study God's word together. We need to, we need to be a people, we need to be families who are surrounded, surrounding the table, reading the, the word of God together. We need to be husbands and wives who are reading together. We need, to be, uh, we need to be disciples that are reading together. This is what we need to be. We have the time. We just don't put it in. So this is the level of devotion we're talking about. A level of devotion that is always ready to see what's happening. So let's walk through some of these, uh, some of these ideas because uh, understanding what devotion to the apostles' teaching, I believe, is very important. They would meet together, as we just read, uh, from in the temple courts from day to day. Verse 46, this appears to have been for the purpose of hearing the apostolic teaching. Okay, or healing, hearing the apostolic correction or pointing of the scriptures to Jesus. It is doubtless, though, and we're going to see this through Gentile context, that they also uh, studied the word of God or heard the word of God, learned the word of God from house to house. They learned this in their own particular settings. And so there's a lot of importance to that. So let's look at some of those examples. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. And Acts chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 23. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 23. Okay, the person that's in view here in he is Barnabas. 
We learned that from the previous verse. But it says, Then when he, Barnabas, arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So there's a, there's a call there to remain true to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that they are to walk in faithfulness. They are to remain faithful. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not kept because we get all the, all the rules right. Okay, We're not kept because we get all the rules right. Out of faith, it should produce in you a righteousness and a holiness and a walking after God that is, that is what he expects, right? In view of mercy, Romans 12, 1 and 2, in view of mercy, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So this sounds really familiar to an apostle's teaching that we see much later in 1 Corinthians 15. The apostle Paul says this, he says, here's the nuts and bolts of the gospel, church. The nuts and bolts of the gospel are these, that uh, Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. There's point one you need to remember about the gospel. If you want to share the gospel with your friends, it needs to include these three things. But Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. These are the nuts and bolts. But to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 2, he says, you have come to saving faith in this truth. You have. And then he says something that makes every Baptist nervous. <laughs> anyway, he says if. He says if, and it throws everybody for a loop. He says, you are saved by grace in this faith. And then he says, if you hold fast to it. If you hold fast to it. You're saved by grace through faith. And you're kept by his work and you trusting in it. That's called faith. Right? You trust him. You rest in him. Paul says it, 1 Corinthians 12. Well, Barnabas is saying the same thing. He encouraged them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For, and I love this picture of Barnabas, it's such a cool thing to see in Scripture, for he was a good man. I like that. I like that. Barnabas was a good man. His name means son of encouragement or one of encouragement. So he was a good man. And then look what else is true of Barnabas. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Were they saved by Barnabas? No, but they can be saved through. He can be the minister. He, you can go out and teach people and share your faith with people. God is the Savior. We just point to him. Amen? So it goes on in verse 25, and it says, And he left for Troa, or Tarsus to look for Saul, the Apostle Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he left Antioch, he comes back to Antioch, and now he's got Paul. And look at this level of devotion to the Apostles' teaching. Look at this level of devotion on both ends. For an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You remember that whole problem of uh, Jewish religion and Jesus came to start the Christian religion? No, 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 no. That name comes much later. It comes here in Acts 11 in Antioch where they're first called Christians. So the idea here, though, back to devotion, is this, that, that they spend an entire year. Paul and Barnabas are devoted to teaching, and the people are devoted to growing and learning. An entire year, this is like it's a pretty intensive class that you would be devoted to. These people wanted to know and wanted to grow inside of their faith. Turn with me one chapter forward to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 8. We want to talk about a way to change 
your city, especially if your city is predominantly held by a certain religion. Look at this. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. He didn't become a Christian. He became a Jew who believed in his Messiah. He believed Jesus was his Messiah, right? And so the leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his household. So this wrecks everything. The guy who's leading the Jewish synagogue now believes that Jesus is Messiah. And many of the Corinthians, were, uh, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Remember this, many of the Corinthians here. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, don't be afraid any longer. Apparently Paul was. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have, I have many people in this city. Why? Because many had been saved. So he goes on, verse 11. He says, and he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So the question that arises in this situation is the question that says, so, so what is the apostles' teaching? Do I need to go through the book of Acts? Do I need to just pull out the epistles and, and then that's everything for me? Oh, no. It expands to the entire word of God. And here's why we know this. Because the apostle Peter told us what was useful for our teaching and our training in righteousness. Here's what Peter says, uh, or here's what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that, here's a really awesome uh, result from this, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, Let's follow the logic. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Paul is an apostle. Paul says to his young student, Timothy, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. So in other words, the apostle Paul's teaching that we are supposed to be devoted to or all the apostles' teaching that we're devoted to includes the rest of scripture. All of scripture is God-breathed. Here's why this is so important. Because first century believers didn't have the problem we have. They didn't divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. They didn't divorce it. They don't have a story unless they have an Old Testament. Right? We don't have a story. We don't have any of this. This is again why Philip is teaching the Ethiopian eunuch through Isaiah about Jesus. Because it's all connected. It's the same God of grace. It's the same God of love. It's the same God of justice who has been speaking the whole time, right? And so all scripture is inspired. So when you ask the question, uh, well, what is the apostles teaching? Um, there. Because that's what they taught. That's what they taught. So you read it, you trust it, you believe it, you listen to it, you let it grow you because here is the answer. It says that you will be adequate, equipped for every good work. How many of you want to be those people? Good. How many of you are willing now, because that's the, that's the step to it, to take time and read the word of God? See? We want to look like Jesus and we don't want to do what he says. I don't know why. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. God, I want to look like you. And what we're really doing is just praying in our prayer closet. We're praying in our, uh, on our bed. And we're hoping God's just going to wave a magic wand and poof, we look like Jesus. <laughs> you still look like an idiot. Anyway, so God wants to change us. 
but he wants to change us through his living and active word. That's really important to all of us, church. Okay, turn forward yet again. Acts chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Here is what we read about dedication to the apostles' teaching again. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, right? This is, this is the way uh, many people viewed uh, Christianity or viewed following Jesus. They viewed it as a way, just like you would say the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Hasidic Jews, things like this, right? Even the Romans viewed them as a sect of Judaism for almost the first hundred years, right? So before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, this is Paul, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, uh, there is the element of this that says, wow, they spent two years, they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. There's a lot that they grew in and a lot that they learned in. But there's another lesson in this that I really want you to see. And that is when they faced trial, when they faced hardened people being disobedient, they didn't keep pressing. They didn't keep pressing. This is a lesson for all y'all on Facebook, okay? They didn't, they didn't keep pressing. When people said, forget you, I don't want to hear it, They went away, they taught each other, they grew, and they expanded. And look, they expanded, right? They grew and they expanded. You can do it God's way. You don't have to be a uh, firebrand in the culture. You don't always have to be a firebrand in the culture. You, You need to learn that if people aren't listening, it's okay. This is what we the Bible talks about when it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. It's, again, not calling people swine necessarily. The idea is if they're not able to hear it, they're just going to trample it down. There's no point. So there is biblical uh, credence, biblical, uh, you know, credence for the idea that you would say, okay, I'm going to take a hiatus from trying to drill into this person. Take a step back and you keep moving forward. Amen? Really, really important for us to understand Christians don't do this well, quite honestly. Okay, Acts chapter 20, the very next chapter, starting at verse 7. Here's what we read. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, there we are again, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now remember how the Jewish calendar works. They are meeting on the first day of the week. What is that for them? That would be, that would be uh, Saturday night, 6 p.m., to Sunday morning, 6 a.m. Okay, their days work different. They begin in the evening and they end in the morning, okay? So you've got, or 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., sorry. 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. So you have, you have this Saturday thing that's going on, okay? This is why we celebrate church on Sunday. We say it's the Lord's Day, it's part of Sunday, okay? It was the first day of the week. The last day of the week for them was Friday to Saturday. That was Sabbath. Okay, that was Sabbath. So they met together and they were breaking bread because this was their thing. So remember what time of day this is. It's night. It's night. It's Saturday night rolling into Sunday morning. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And so this evening service that they were having, he decides, we're going to teach this evening service and I'm going to preach till midnight. Okay, 
I don't want to hear any more nonsense from you people about preaching too long until you've sat with the Apostle Paul, okay? But, but here, here is what's amazing about this. There are, there are words or phrases in the Bible that we read and we go, what does that even mean? I don't even have a clue what that means. And the next one is one of those words. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were, they were gathered together. Thanks for telling us about the decorations. We have no idea what you're talking about. They're meeting in the evening. What did people see by? Lamps. There were many lamps. What is that saying? There were many people. There was a devotion to the apostles' teaching. They were coming to listen and to grow and to learn. Now, watch what happens in this church meeting. This is absolutely brilliant. He goes on. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting in the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. Now, some translations. (laughs) Shut it. Anyway, so some translations actually render that Paul Paul talked on and on. It actually says that in some translations. And you guys know. You can amen it. You know what you're... Anyway. Okay. So Paul kept on talking, and he was overcome by sleep, and he fell down the third floor and was picked up dead. This is epic church right here. Don't worry. It became charismatic all of a sudden. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. And then verse 11 goes on. And he says, when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak. Because midnight to daybreak, right? We see the time frame. And then he left. They took away the boy alive. Awesome. Great end to the story. And they were greatly comforted. Okay, the Bible also says in Hebrews, it says that you have not, in your resistance to sin, you have not gone to the point of shedding blood. Here's here's the only thing I want to say about this particular passage. In your listening to sermons, you have never died, so deal with it. Okay, anyway, okay, so... He goes on, I'm I'm really sorry. So later on in the same chapter, just a few verses later, he is uh, is consoling the elders of Ephesus. He's telling that he's encouraging them. But he's encouraging them to be devoted to the very thing he's devoted to. And he's encouraging them to call the people to devotion to the same thing. You yourselves know, elders elders in Ephesus, how I, Paul, did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. There's where we see it going beyond the synagogue, right? Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, just a few verses later, he goes into this. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church. This is specifically for elders as defined by the Bible. This is not just older people, right? This is a a specific office. And so he says, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I think there's another verse. Is there another verse? Yeah. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Uh, Final verse, right? Yep. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Here's devotion. 
And their devotion was to hear this and to grow in this and to learn in this. I admonished you for three years, these elders. He says, now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So right there in italics is a beautiful benefit to dedication to the apostles' teaching. But here's the practical piece. The Bible also tells us that there is coming a day when men will not entertain sound doctrine. Okay, There's coming a day when they won't entertain sound doctrine. Let me tell you what leads up to men and women not entertaining sound doctrine. People not being devoted to the word of God so that they can discern whether or not it's sound or perverse. We're, we're going to be, if, 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 if the trend continues and we continue to not give time to God's word, and we spend our time watching our televisions and all of this and making every excuse in the world, we are setting ourselves up to be deceived, church. So what are we called to? Dedication to the apostles' teaching. Dedication to the word of God. Because when we are dedicated to it, that, that deception, it's bunk. We see it a mile away, don't we? We go, no, sorry, I ain't falling for it. I know Jesus came in the flesh. Sorry, I know his resurrection was literal. I know it was a physical resurrection. Sorry, I'm not buying that. This is what the scripture says. And that's how you stand your ground. But the only way you're going to do that is if you dedicate yourself to the apostles' teaching. And the level of dedication we're talking about is the same that we saw on the day of Pentecost with a bunch of people in an upper room waiting for the consolation of Israel or for the, for the uh, promise of the Holy Spirit so that they could go out in power. We better be that people. Amen? We've got to be that people. So how did this continue on throughout church history? That just ended with the Bible. We're fine. No, we're products of this continuing on, aren't we? We wouldn't be here if there wasn't dedication to the apostles' teaching. We wouldn't be here. The other thing is that we see documents written throughout church history. One would be written in around 150 AD called the Didache, which is the, the dictates or the teachings of the apostles. They wrote documents to understand and to provide commentary on the ideas that were presented to them. We have done this since day one, church. We need to do it again today. We need to be dedicated to the Word of God. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.